Okay, hello everyone. Sambunani. Ninjani. Si appeal. So you might ask me how I'm so amazing at Zulu. Um, and I only have one answer, and that is, stop it, I'm not that good. We, we're talking about forgiveness this, this evening. And I want you guys to complete the following sentence. So if you, my, my life would be so much easier, so much better if only fill in the blank, we're not a part of it, or she or he or they were not a part of it. Or maybe complete the following sentence, if only fill in the blank gave me the opportunity I deserve. Can be a person, can be, a, can be management, it can be a system that is keeping you from excelling. Maybe, not maybe, I'm pretty sure that there is a colleague, a parent, a mother-in-law, a high school bully, a brother, a politician, an ex, a rugby ref, a domineering friend, a neighbor, people who you've had beef with, that you are having beef with, and who you might have beef with in the future. Who is that person? Is there anybody who can relate to these questions? Anybody who are struggling? The Bible says that your soul is in serious danger. Your soul is in serious danger when we think like that. Here's something interesting. In Luke 17, from verse 3 to 5, we read the following. Luke 17, from verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. Now, here's something interesting and very counterintuitive. If somebody sins against you, if somebody wrongs you, what is it that you primarily think about? That person who wronged me. What does Jesus say? If somebody wronged you, watch yourself. Be very careful. Pay good attention to your own heart because it can go into a direction that will end in bitterness. Can you see how this is counterintuitive? It's not watch the other person, just be careful of that person. It says watch yourself. It is, you shouldn't watch the aggressor, you shouldn't watch, uh, you shouldn't watch the other person, you should watch yourself. If you've been unfairly shouted at, if you've experienced racial abuse, if you've been ignored, if you've been mugged, watch yourself. Be very careful. Not in terms of where you walk, I mean, that's a good idea as well, <laughs> but, but be very careful. This is not very politically correct, what I'm saying. It's actually victim blaming. There's a word for it. Oh, Yuan, you're just victim blaming, saying that we need to watch ourselves. No, 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 we need to get rid of all these oppressors in the world. Jesus says, watch yourself. Why? Because if you don't watch yourself, it can end in bitterness. Hebrews 12, verse 15, says the following. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. A root of bitterness. That is such an apt description. I've got a little garden in my townhouse. It's not a very good garden, but the one, nothing grows in that garden except vit stinkout trees. And even the tree's name sounds horrible, a vit stinkout, all right? It, it, it would be literally translated as a white stinkwood, all right? And, and these trees are just growing everywhere. 
and I've cut them down. I've had professional cutters to cut them down. We've even painted them with tar to try and keep them. And then after rains like this, we just prayed for the rains. But I, I was a little bit, uh, I had my reservations because those wit stinkouter will just emerge. They always come back. Why do they always come back? Because their roots are in the ground. Apparently, those roots are as big as the tree itself, and it's very, very difficult to, to remove it. So what about a, a bitter root? Well, if you've been wronged by people, if, you, if you've been hurt, the Bible says you need to do some digging. You need to get rid of those roots. Otherwise, you'll be in mortal danger or in immortal danger. I had a university romance, and it ended kind of you know, badly. And uh, I moved on, and she obviously moved on with a friend of mine. And, uh, but but we, we were fine. I mean, we were all adults. And you know, this, this was years after the fact. And I mean, probably five years since I've see, seen her. And, uh, and then I saw her in Menden, Menden Mall. And because it's been a long time, because let bygones be bygones, I think I treated it as any adult would treat it in the sense that I hid behind a pot plant in, in Menden out of fear that she is going to spot me. She unfortunately did spot me, and it was very difficult to recover from hiding behind the pot plant. I pretended to drop my phone. I'm not sure she bought it. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, it suffice to say, walking away from, from that encounter, obviously with my dignity intact, I, I think it's fair to say that I haven't dealt with the roots of, of what happened there. There's still a lot of digging that I had to do to try and figure out why is that my heart responded in the way that it did. You might have moved on from an abusive or an absent father, but then every time you go into a relationship, you just end up with these immature, absent, abusive guys, also called bad boys, and you think you've moved on, but th those are just roots. You've cut it off, but you haven't dug around it, and then it manifests itself over and over again. Let me be a little bit vulnerable here. I, I'm sort of in the reconciliation business. I'm trying to teach white people to, to uh, learn Zulu and to play soccer just a little bit less bad. And uh, I'm, I really want to see this country work. And it is a massive privilege to, to be in a little community like this where we try and learn from each other and be multicultural. And the other day, so I'm obviously not a racist, and I've got black friends. Um, and the other day, I was driving on the road and on the freeway, and this car was just tossing litter out, one bottle after the next. And it was a black hand that was tossing out the litter, one bottle after the next. In my heart, and this is not long ago, in my heart, I didn't say, ah, oh, that person. What did I say? These people. That's where my heart went. And even though I've gone a long way on this journey of reconciliation, I find myself just five bottles on the freeway away 
from something very bitter coming up. I haven't dealt with the roots. So how do we deal with bitterness? The Bible says forgive. We have to forgive. And within forgiveness, there are so many resources. We spoke about it last week, but Luke 17, Jesus says you need to forgive, forgive, forgive. What's the disciples' reaction? Lord, give us faith. It's so interesting. Jesus is not saying, guys, I quickly want you to go heal those 500 people there by just laying your hands. They don't say then, oh, Lord, give us faith. It's what, I want you to forgive those 500 people over there. No, no, too difficult. This is one of the most difficult things that we can do is to forgive. Let's look at some of those resources. The first thing that we looked at is watch yourself. Watch yourself. That very counterintuitive command from Jesus. When we've been wronged, we see this person that wronged us or these people that wronged us in a very one-dimensional way. Have you guys seen cartoons, uh, political cartoons? Zuma is probably the most famous political cartoon. How is he always portrayed? He's got a big head and he always has a shower, a shower on top of his head. Why? Because he once said something stupid about AIDS and showering. And we reduced him to that. That is who this guy is. When somebody's wronged us and we camp there and we do not forgive, our hearts create a cartoon caricature of the other person and we reduce them just to this one or two things. So if somebody lied to you, what is that person? A liar. If somebody was mean, that person is a bully. If somebody was just short, they are just constantly grumpy. If somebody was dismissive of you and you happen to be a member of the other race or uh, other gender, then that person is a chauvinist or a racist or, or, or something along those lines. That's what happens in our heart if it's not dealt with. We've got this cartoonist caricature and we turn the person into that. What's very ironic though is when I lie, I always say, yeah, but it was very complex. It was really complex. I mean, I had to give you half the truth because I don't think you would have dealt well with the whole truth. When I'm grumpy, it is because I've had a bad day. You guys have no idea what I've gone through. Or when I'm dismissive or short, then it's because I'm, I'm really busy. I'm, I'm really busy. I'm in a massive hurry. Can you see that when it's about me, it's multidimensional? But when it's about my enemy, it becomes one-dimensional, and I just exaggerate this one ugly feature of his face. That's, by the way, if we get somebody to do a, cart- like a cartoonist sketch of all of you guys, um, which is, is not a very fun experience, actually, because they take one ugly, ugly as- aspect of your face and they exaggerate it, all right? That's what we do with our enemies when we don't forgive them. We exaggerate that one sin, that, that one thing that they've wronged you with, and we exaggerate it. Do you have a one-dimensional cartoonist view of your enemy? Watch yourself, says Jesus. The second bit of resource, the second resource, rather, that we get is, if your brother sins against you, did you hear that line? If your brother sins against you, you must go to him and you must forgive him seven times seven. Why is brother significant? Because usually when somebody's wronged us, that person very quickly stops being a brother or a human. They become an animal or an idiot or uh, you know, something along those lines. But we don't identify them in their humanity. We identify them in their sin, right? So what does Jesus say? That person is the same as you. 
He is your brother. She is your sister. Whether they are politician, whether they are politicians, whether they are uh, black, whether they are white, whether they are criminals, you have to identify those people in their humanity because because that person, your enemy, he's also got fears, he's also got dreams, he's also got friends, family, hobbies, struggles. And in the same way that you are messed up, this person is messed up, and in the same way that there's a spark of divinity in you, there's a spark of divinity in this other person. So what do you have to do? You have to identify this person in his or her humanity. So the first thing we need to do is we need to watch ourselves and not make a cartoonist caricature out of this person, and the second thing is we need to identify them in, 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 in their humanity. The third thing, Pray for your enemy. There's this famous line in Mark 11, Mark 11, verse 25. It says the following, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Now let's just analyze that for a second. If you stand praying, forgive. Why is it necessary to forgive when you are praying? Because when you pray, you are praying about your troubles, Right? And when you pray about your troubles, you're thinking of the people who are troubling you. And Jesus says, in that moment, forgive. It is very difficult. I've tried this. It's very difficult to stay angry at a person when you are praying for them. There's a pagan way of praying. There's an archaeological dig that discovered this prayer well. And that sounds very lovely, a prayer well, right? We, maybe we need a prayer well here at, at Dialogue. So they discovered the prayer well, but it was a pagan prayer well, and it was a bunch of prayers committed or dedicated to Zeus, and it basically read something like that, Dear Zeus, please, when Demetrius is going against me in the, in the arena, please may his horses crumble, may his chariot just break into pieces. Please, Zeus, we ask you this in your gracious name. Um, those were the kinds of prayers that the pagans prayed. Christians are not allowed to pray like the pagans. So how are we supposed to pray? Father, forgive them, for they do not know their sin. Father, you have to will the good of the other person. You have to pray that God will bless them. Here's the thing. If you do that for a long time and you do that consistently, you know what you will find. You will find that your heart changes towards that person. So there's the third resource we have in terms of forgiveness. The fourth one is forgiveness is not an emotion. In, Matthew, in, in, in Mark 11, it says, when you are standing there and praying, forgive. It's not giving a qualification. It just says, forgive on the spot. In Luke 17, it says, forgive over and over again, seven times a day, then you have to forgive. What that tells us is that forgiveness is more like a practice and less like an emotion. So I often don't feel like changing my boy's nappy. And somehow it doesn't work when I tell my wife, you know what, I don't feel like it. But you just do it. It is a duty. I don't always feel like working. I don't always feel like praying. It is a discipline. You do it. So forgiveness, well, your emotion, your feelings is actually, to a certain extent, very irrelevant. There's this guy called Dan Hamilton, and uh, his fiance broke off the engagement. And he said some very profound things about forgiveness. He said, I had to forgive her every time I saw her in public. I had to forgive her every time 
I saw her with another man. I had to forgive her every time I had an opportunity to talk about her and, and the little company that I was in gave me the permission to, to tell everybody how bad she is. And when I would defend her character, in that moment I had to forgive her over and over again. 50 million little forgivenesses on a daily basis. Did he want to do it? No. If somebody's wronged you, it is so much fun to just, you know, rip that person's reputation and character to shreds. You know, like when, 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 when the girlfriend broke up with me, I was just making up now. I think she's got like 50 tattoos on her face now. She kicks puppies. You know, you, you're trying your best to, to just ruin this person's reputation. When you forgive, you withhold that. You don't. And how do you do that? You do it as a practice. Who of you are familiar with Corrie ten Boom? Just Corrie ten Boom, just show of hands. Who knows Corrie ten Boom? Okay, so this is going to be a bit of an education. Corrie ten Boom was this Dutch lady. Actually, all of you have seen Corrie ten Boom. You just don't know it. If you've ever seen uh, the picture of the lady on Omar Biscate, Omar Rusks, you've seen Corrie ten Boom. Well, not really, but they look exactly the same. So... So, so Corrie ten Boom was this lady in, uh, in Holland w w under the Nazi occupation. And uh, her family, they were a very devout Christian family, and they were hiding Jews. If you go to Harlem, you've got the wonderful opportunity to go into their house and just see where they hid the Jews, called the hiding place. I think it was behind the piano or something. And... Uh, they, they hid many Jews. There's this wonderful story because afterwards she went on a, and, and she went in the concentration camp. I'm going to give you the details now. But there's this wonderful story where she went on this tour talking about forgiveness and she ended up in, in New Zealand of all places. And this guy comes up to her and he's this neuroscientist who's now developed this technique that can, that's just saving hundreds and thousands of lives. And he comes up to her and says, uh, you don't know me, but I was a baby that you snuck out. Of, of Holland, and I've, I've been able to pursue this career. I want to thank you for that. So a, a wonderful story, but eventually her whole family was captured, were captured, and they were sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp, where the whole family died, except her. She was the only one that stayed alive after the, after the Holocaust, and then afterwards she just preached a message of forgiveness. And she was going all over the place doing that. And then once, when she, she, she gave a talk in Germany, she saw one of her camp guards for the first time, one of these SS commandants, and she describes the feeling. This is quite a lengthy quote, but it's worth it, so just stay seated. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their wraps, in silence left the room, and that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. In other words, this guy was just coming in his sort of church clothes forward, and then when she recognized his face, she couldn't even see his church clothes, she only saw his SS uniform, his SS attire. She says, it came back to me with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man every day. 
I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. Oh, Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at the Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. He didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out to me. Will you forgive me? I stood there, I, whose sins had been forgiven every day, and I could not. Betsy had died in that horrible place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do in my life. For I had to do it. I knew that. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what physical scars they had. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. Still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You can supply the rest. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Koritin Vibuam's experience, however, is not the norm. She experienced an emotion once she asked God for that. Most of the time, we don't. Most of the time, we experience what Dan Hamilton describes, where you have to forgive this person over and over again, even if you don't want to do that. But the point that she makes that I think is telling is that we need to realize that it is a discipline. It is a practice. It is an act of the world. Forgiveness, here's a nice description of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a promise not to bring the matter up to the person, to others, or to yourself. You refuse to play the video of the wrong in your imagination. That is forgiveness. That does not come naturally, friends. It is an act of the will. It is a practice. Number five, it's always your move. It's always your move to forgive, and it's always your move to try and create reconciliation. If you've been wronged, then Luke 17, Mark 11 says, you need to go to the person and you need to reconcile. But there's something interesting that happens 
in Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, it says, verse 23, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your father and then, uh, sorry, to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Why is that interesting? Because most of the time when we think of forgiveness, we think of the people who wronged us. But now the shoe is on the other foot. Who are the people that you've wronged? Who are the people that you need to go to and apologize to? Whom you need to ask forgiveness for? That is an interesting thought, isn't it? You probably have a long list of people that's wronged you. But I can almost guarantee you that there are people who feel exactly the same way about you. Identify those people. Go to them. Ask for their forgiveness. The point is, whether you've wronged a person or whether you've been wronged, what is the, 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 the message of the Bible? It's your move. You have to go. You have to go and be reconciled. It is not enough to just forgive, by the way. Some of you might say, you want, you want, you want. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got some difficult circumstances, some difficult people in my life. Can't I just forgive them I've forgiven them, but I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to have the interaction. Is it not enough? No, it's not enough, is the difficult answer. Forgiveness works as follows. It is a gift you give someone else. And if you buy a gift over Christmas and you don't give it to someone else, that's very nice, especially if it's a pack of cards. It's very nice, but it's incomplete. You only have a gift. You haven't given a gift. Are you with me? So for forgiveness to be complete, you need to give the gift. It needs to be opened. It needs to be accepted. Only then is forgiveness complete. So if you've just forgiven in your heart this person, that is great. That is the secular way of forgiving because secular people will say, you need to forgive. Why? Because otherwise you're going to turn into a better person. It's good for your psychological well-being to forgive. Christians say, yeah, that's a nice byproduct, but ultimately it's not about you. It is a gift that you are giving someone else. When you forgive someone, you are condemning their actions. You are judging their actions. I'll give you an example. When my wife and I fight on Wednesdays, then there's a bit of a a stalemate. Nobody's willing to concede anything. Nobody's moving. And then, because I'm the better Christian, after about 20 minutes of silence, I will go to and say, you know what, Lorraine, I thought about it. I forgive you. I forgive you. <laughs> and then for some reason, she doesn't accept my gift of forgiveness that I've given her. Why not? Because she's opened the package and she doesn't accept the accusation that comes with the package, right? She doesn't accept it. That is how forgiveness works. That is why when people say forgiveness is cheap, it's not cheap. There's condemnation involved in, in forgiveness. You, you are making a judgment on the person's behavior. But the point is that confrontation is inevitable. Let me ask you this. Does God forgive everyone? Does God forgive everyone? Some say yes, some say no. I think the answer is yes. 
I mean, it, it, it depends on your theology, but if your theology is correct, then <laughs> the, the answer is yes, he forgives everyone. But not everybody is willing to open the package. Not everyone is op willing to accept the accusation. What is the accusation? You're a mess. You're sinful. Your heart is a mess. You, you need saving. You need Jesus. Nobody, a lot of people don't like that accusation. I'm fine. I don't need him. So with forgiveness, with the gift comes an accusation when you open the gift. And when you receive that gift of forgiveness and you put your life from a very vulnerable position into his, into his hands, then forgiveness is complete. The same is true on a horizontal level. If that is how it works on a vertical level, the same is true on a horizontal level. You need to give the gift, you need to send it, it needs to be opened, it needs to be accepted. Just one disclaimer, and we can flesh this out in the Q&A. When the Bible says we need to forgive indiscriminately, but it doesn't mean that we should be stupid. So let's say somebody mugged you, and you happen to find that mugger the next day, and you say, listen, I went to church, they told me I must forgive you, so I forgive you, by the way, for you know, the cell phone that you stole the other day. And because I am, you know, such a wonderful Christian and Jesus' forgiveness is in my heart, I want you to please house it, our house, over December. You know, that would, be, that would be foolish. That would be silly. You can offer forgiveness and there can be a measure of reconciliation, but it's not wise to just trust completely. The church did that. The church, in many different denominations and institutions, just trusted people who came forward with their sin, and then they just reinstated them and restored them in their previous positions. And then we were very shocked afterwards to hear about all these sexual abuse scandals and uh, pedophilia within the, the Catholic Church or Anglican Church or you know many, many churches. And then people say, but you guys knew about it. And we say, yeah, but we forgave him. He came forward. We had a whole restoration process. Well, that person was just in a position of power immediately again. Obviously, it wasn't resolved. It was stupid to trust him completely. So can you guys see this tension between forgiveness and reconciliation that must be there, but also trust must be built. We shouldn't be stupid about how we apply this. Friends, our, our world is so angry our country is angry. There are so many divorces. Apparently, it's, it's something like half of marriages end in divorce. That's why Oscar Wilde said the main cause of divorce is marriage. <laughs> but but it's, it's, it's tragic. There are so many relationships that are broken. So many people blocked on WhatsApp. So many people cancelled. So many brothers and sisters biological, not talking to each other. The Christmas season is around the corner. Many people have two or three Christmases because they are members of the family who refuse to sit with other members of the family. They are parents not talking to their own children. They are mother-in-laws all over the place. They are people who were best friends who are now estranged. They are black people and white people having huge resentment towards each other. You've got Ukrainians hating Russians. You've got Russians hating Ukrainians. You've got Hutus hating Tutsis and Tutsis hating Hutus. It just goes on. And the biggest tragedy of it all is that 
I've never met a perpetrator. Everybody's a victim. Whether it's on a political level, or whether it is on an individual family level, everybody is convinced that they are the victims. So what do they do? They retaliate. You do this, then I do that. Tit for tat. They started it. You know, we, we like adults, reasoning like that. No, they, they started it. And the cycle of violence of, and revenge just continues over and over again. What happens on the cross? Jesus is betrayed by his friends. He's betrayed by the Romans. He's betrayed by the Jews, by the religious establishment, by the political establishment, by his family, his friends. And on the cross, does he retaliate? Does he take revenge? No. He absorbs all of that anger, and he says, peace be with you. What does he say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. As a young kid, I was always disappointed when I read the Gospels. I just always wanted Jesus to just say, ta-da, you know, and just... Just go on something that would, you know, resemble a biblical version of Taken or the Equalizer. And it just never happened. Jesus absorbs it, and he breaks that cycle of revenge, of violence. He says, enough is enough. It's like Desmond Tutu said, there is no future without forgiveness. Somewhere we need to break the cycle. Somewhere we cannot just continue with retaliation. And they did that to us, but now we're going to do that to them. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he spoke of this new covenant. His blood poured out as a forgiveness of sins. And then in Hebrews 8, there's this wonderful line as the writer of Hebrews reflect on what Jesus did. He just says, and he remembers our sin no more. You know what's the end of forgiveness? Oblivion. If we work through forgiveness, the biblical way, the Jesus way, then eventually the wrong that that person committed to us just slips into oblivion. We forget about it completely. That is what we are called to do. Friends, I want us to to go over into, into communion and reflect on this divine forgiveness that we've been given and also reflect on who do we need to forgive on a horizontal level, who do we need to ask forgiveness on a horizontal level. Lord Jesus, we, we realize that this world is in such desperate need of forgiveness We realize that we are in such desperate need of forgiveness. Lord, we confess that we often think of our enemies in this cartoony way, just make these caricatures out of them. Lord, we confess that we don't often watch ourselves, we nurse our bitterness, and it takes deep root in our heart. Lord, it is our prayer that we can do some divine digging around those roots and get rid of them. Lord, it is our prayer that when we look at our enemies, we can identify them as brothers and sisters and not as cockroaches or aliens or uh, something, something 
we not dehumanize them, Lord, but that we can identify them as brothers and sisters. Lord Jesus, it is so difficult to forgive and the emotions really follow. That is why it is our prayer that it will become a practice, that we will be a community of forgivers who do it over and over again, who gives the gift of forgiveness to people who are also in desperate need of it. Lord, on a just purely human level, it is almost impossible. And that is why we need your divine help. Lord, I pray that the cross of Jesus will, will just be engraved in our hearts. That those words of, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they are doing. Or after the insult, that instead of retaliation, we can say, peace be with you. Lord, give us something of that divine life in our hearts as we try and bring forgiveness to a world that is in desperate need of it. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.